Hello and welcome to Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm Jason Solomons and this is the podcast bursting with cultural recommendations as the professionals from film, TV, books and music share their viewing passions and influences with me and with you. This week my guests could not be more different. I saw that amazing uh, Brazilian film, Bucarau, the other day. That is a real trip. I didn't know what to expect at all. Just finished about a month ago, that Fowder. Seriously well done. I mean, it's, it's, and it's so watchable. You heard author Jonathan Coe, the writer of The Rotters Club and Middle England, now with a new book out called Mr Wilder and Me, about a young woman's experiences on the set of the late Billy Wilder film Fedora. And you also heard Craig Fairbrass, the towering South London actor who's appeared in Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone, EastEnders with Barbara Windsor, and plenty of gangster films now looming as a threateningly friendly bodybuilding instructor in British film Muscle. A great read and a great watch that I can already recommend with my two guests and they'll be recommending their own passions in just a moment right after I tell you if I've seen anything good lately. I know I've been going on about it a bit, but Small Axe continues to amaze. And in Red, White and Blue, I think we get the best John Boyega performance of his career yet. It might be the defining one of his career. Who knows? He's just great as Leroy Logan, a black man who wants to join the police force to do good from the inside, but meets the institutional racism head on. You know how much I love Mangrove and Lover's Rock already, but this third instalment feels like the most personal episode to Steve McQueen of the lot. The walls of white patrician portraits and the Queen, the institutional silence, the suspicion from his own black community, the doubts, the determination. I love the performance's physicality, the athleticism of it and the sensitivity. I love his beige gola sports bag, the friendship with imagination's Lee John, and the brilliant chase scene in a factory that's so sparse and so sober compared to a Hollywood one, say. Yet it's chilling in the way it's isolated and surrounded by these implacable machines. That's all very Steve McQueen. So yes, it might feel like half a film, You know, some of the characters are a little underdeveloped and perhaps it's only scratched the surface of Leroy Logan's life story. And maybe there could have been a whole series on that alone. But, and if John Biega wants to play that, well, I'm there, I'm watching all of that. But as part of the palette of colour that Small Axe as a series is bringing to British TV, Red, White and Blues are missable. And it's also got this track in. Imagination and So Good, So Right from their Body Talk album, 1981, featuring Lee John on the falsetto vocals there. God, I love that record. My first guest this week is Jonathan Coe, without doubt one of my favourite writers, from his Thatcherite era satire, What a Carve Up, and the dark humour of the Rotters Club to the state of the nation cringe comedy of Middle England. Coe can nail Englishness with precision and and warmth. His books are characterised by sharp writing that gets right to the heart, an elegant approach to the drabness of the everyday. His latest book is a bit of a departure, but it's still delightful, a wistful reminiscence from a middle aged film composer called Callista who's thinking back to the heady days of her first job and how she ended up becoming an assistant to fabled Hollywood film director Billy Wilder. He of Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot, Double Indemnity, The Apartment. I mean basically the list of his films is is the pantheon itself. The book is about the making of one of his lesser-known later films, Fedora, from 1977, which I watched in preparation for reading this book. And I must say it was a very pleasant bit of homework to do. You know, I set this to you on the last scene of the thing good lately, so I hope you've done your work. I did think that the film bore a thematic resemblance to Sunset Boulevard, starting with a corpse and narrated by the same actor, William Holden. They'd done a good job on her, considering the messy way her life had ended. Well, at least she was going out in style. What with the spotlights and the fiddlers, 
the honor guard with feathers in their helmets, and all those TV cameras, like it was some goddamn premiere. Sitting up there in the VIP section was that weird entourage of hers. The old countess and her son, and Miss Balford and Dr. Vando. Moist-eyed and grieving, those bastards. But they didn't fool me for a second. Poor Fedora. Maybe things would have turned out differently. Maybe she would still be alive. But I hadn't gone to Corfu looking for her. Was it only two weeks ago? Billy Wilder's Fedora, the opening of it there. I was intrigued to know what Jonathan Coe, who's always been a massive film fan, and that's always crept into his writing somehow. I wonder why he chose this movie to write about. And if he too was attracted by Billy Wilder deliberately going for that faded end of an era sunset boulevard grandeur. He kind of courted that comparison, really. I mean, he did say a lot in interviews, this is my most serious film since Sunset Boulevard and this revisits the themes of Sunset Boulevard and that kind of thing. And that was kind of asking for trouble in a way because, you know, critics were always going to compare Fedora unfavourably to the to the earlier film. And of course, what it really lacks is a Gloria Swanson-sized performance from the female leads we have we have Hildegard Neff and uh, Martha Keller both of whom do okay but you know he wanted I think the original casting was Marlene Dietrich as the old movie star and uh, and Faye Dunaway as her daughter and that would have been that would have been quite a film yeah let's make that one <laughs> but but Marlene Dietrich hated the script so much that uh you know, she she sent him a very terse, no thanks, Billy. And not just no thanks, Billy, but why the hell do you want to do this story kind of thing? And and in a way, you can see her point, because if there's one thing wrong with Fedora, it's the story, I think. Yes, it does. And it sort of peters out. And poor old William Holden, who's great, actually, up to when he's in it. But the last half of the movie, he just sort of spends in the background nodding away. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah exactly. I mean, what? Yeah. So, I mean, the begs the question, if, Billy, if, if people kept asking Billy Wilder why he was making this, why is he obsessed with this story in any way? Why are you obsessed with this movie, Jonathan, given that it's a not a major Wilder act? I'm not obsessed with it at all, but it's the moment in Billy Wilder's career that interests me most. There's this kind of transitional moment where he's uh, he's fallen from grace a little bit. You have uh, Scorsese, Coppola, Spielberg coming along with a different kind of style of filmmaking, which he admired very much, but knew he couldn't do himself. And, uh, you know, the question I really wanted to ask in this book was how, as an artist, do you cope with that moment in your career, which comes to almost everybody, I think, particularly in, in the film business, you know, when, when suddenly you realise that you just don't have your finger on the pulse anymore and you've had a fantastic run, but, you know, do you call it a day or do you, do you give it one last throw of the dice? And this, to me, is Wilder's swan song, really, and his, his kind of real, his last shot at greatness. And of course, it doesn't quite come off, and that's interesting in itself, because great artists' failures, are, in a way, tell you more about him than, than his successes do. I find one of the things about masterpieces is they don't really give you much room to for analysis or, or commentary, because a, a masterpiece speaks for itself, whereas as soon as you see Fedora, you want to start asking yourself, well, why on earth did he cast them, and why on earth did he choose this story, and what went wrong in that scene? And, you know, there's a lot of material there really it's interesting isn't it to 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 come at comedy or to come at your brand of uh, of comedy and observation through another art form i mean it this is a this is a book that really mirrors the the, the structure the world of film to the point where you've got you, well, there's a whole chapter of the book there's, there's a screenplay you, yeah. know, you, you morph through the mirror into another art form through 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 literature is that, i mean is, is that something you've just wanted to do do you know what i mean i know your other books refer to music a lot and and and, and you know you're you're a big film fan and uh, you know your 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 books have been turned into plays and uh, tv shows but there was this one that, that sort of sees itself right in the in the in the film world and so in the classic film world. I thought there was something interesting going on with with form and desire there. Paradoxically, I don't know how easy it would be to adapt it for film. Actually, it, it might already have such a kind of intimate relationship with cinema that trying to turn it into a screenplay, you know, something there might might get lost or go awry. I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, even the the fifty page section, which is a film script, is not really a filmable film script. It's a it's a film script to be read. But actually, that's just triggered a memory which is that when I was in my late teens I suppose or early 20s I was kind of obsessed with Pinter's Proust screenplay do you remember that was published as a very handsome paperback yes. volume Joseph, Joseph Losey was going to make a movie of Anna Rochette Tom Perdue and 
Pinter wrote the screenplay. That's right. And of course, it, it never got off the ground. So this was a screenplay that there was just there to be read as a as a book, really. And that's that's what I did. And you know, it's a fantastic work of literature in its own right. I think that published screenplay. So maybe maybe that was what was at the back of my mind when I did this section as a screenplay. I've read, read quite a few screenplays. That one was a really good one. I really enjoyed it <laughs> because it wasn't really a screenplay, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And there's also the fact um, that. At the same kind of time in my life, really, I suppose, my late teens, it was too early for us to have a video recorder at home. So I used to record Billy Wilder films onto cassette, onto audio cassette off the television and listen to them. Uh, on they, they fitted just about on a C120. Do you remember the old yeah. C120s? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would listen to those in bed at night. That would, that would be my, my equivalent of what would now be an audio book, I suppose. Yeah. And so, again, you know, the Wilder's, the, the dialogue, the music, the interrelationship between dialogue and music and sound. With some of Wilder's films, I know that much better than I know the visuals. And I think uh, that kind of seeped into the writing of this uh, novel as well. You, you get a sense, uh, Jonathan, you know, the number of people who want to talk to you about these things, that this one feels to me that everyone's like, oh, it's brilliant. We'll talk about, we've got Jonathan Coe, we can get him on, but we can also talk about Billy Wilder. There's a sort of extra edge to this one in terms of the popularity and the, all the uh, you know the the, the uh, anticipation around it i mean it's it's wonderful for me because i would much rather talk about billy wilder in an interview than talk about myself or or about my own books it's much it's much easier to talk about somebody else it's not always easy to know how to pitch it because there are there are people who already know and love billy wilder and of course they'd love that aspect of the book they love the subject of the book and so on you know, there's also a lot of people who don't know anything about him haven't seen his films younger people in particular i've seen plenty of online reviews which said you know i was halfway through the book before it suddenly occurred to me that maybe this was a real person so i had to look him up on wikipedia and this kind of thing somehow i had to write it to cater for the for the wilder buffs and for the complete wilder novices and that's where callista came in really because i thought if i introduce the reader to him through the medium of someone who doesn't know anything about him at all and has never heard of him for the people who already know wilder then that might be funny there might be some comedy there and for the people who don't know him then that's a way of you know giving them the basic the basic facts and the introduction and so on uh jonathan yeah. it, it, i really i really really did enjoy it very much i enjoyed watching fedora and then reading the book which i, I thoroughly recommend to everyone in that order but if it's if it's the other way around <laughs> then so be it yeah absolutely <laughs> what um what have you been watching? Do you get to watch anything else yourself? Have you always been a big film watcher? You're, you're, you're like Callista, you get the BAFTA screeners. What have you been up to? What have you seen anything good lately? Yeah, I've been, been watching a few uh, BAFTA screeners. What did I see the other night? I saw The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss, which I really liked. Really Does good it? kind of white knuckle ride of a, yeah. a thriller, I thought. I mean, and I, I love Elizabeth Moss in anything. She was also very good as... Shirley Jackson in uh, in Shirley. Yeah. Um, I saw that amazing uh, Brazilian film, Bucarau, the other day. Yeah, that, no, and, that's a uh, trip. That is a real trip. I didn't know what to expect at all. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, like everybody else, I've been watching The Crown and The Queen's Gambit and... Yeah, have you? Do Whatever you watch the crowd? I don't watch. I don't watch that. I mean, it's her- almost. I don't know if it's her- I don't know if it's another sort of hanging offence still, but uh, uh, I, I don't watch the crown. <laughs> I never have. I've always thought it looked I, like a silly idea. I started watching the, the first season, the one set in the nineteen fifties, and and didn't stay with it. I have to say, but the current season. I kind of find fascinating because I remember the the era and the events themselves so well, and and I'm also watching it with my daughter, who of course was born long after all this and doesn't really know the story of Charles and Diana, and it's 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 quite fascinating watching just how kind of horrified and mesmerised she is by the unfolding tragedy and the the kind of cruelty of it. Really, I think I think this season is very good. I think it's I think it's really well done. Even I mean, I've always said that I I feel a bit queasy about the way it mingles the real and the imagined. Because I have a vivid memory of coming out of a screening of The Queen at my local cinema a few years ago, whenever that was released, and overhearing a couple of people saying, oh, imagine Tony Blair talking to The Queen like that. I had no idea that that happened. And I felt like saying to them, well, it's just a it's just a movie, you know, it's a, it's a screenwriter's imagining of it. And I've always felt that was a that was a slightly grey area, but I but I've I have to cede the moral high ground now because I've done exactly the same thing in uh, in Mr. Wilder. And yeah. Me, so. yeah, well, and you, you, you know, you have, you have real politicians in your books quite often, you know, you, and, and Birmingham. Birmingham well, I don't Poland. actually. I, don't, I, I very rarely write about re- real politicians for, for precisely that reason. I mean, Boris Johnson wanders in and out of Middle England very, very briefly. But the main political spokesman in uh, in Middle England, the, the press 
uh, guy for the David Cameron office is completely made up. And, you know, people say, well, what a carve up is a, is a satire on Mrs. Thatcher. And Mrs. Thatcher is not in mm. what a carve up. She's, she's not really even mentioned in it that, that often. So I've always kind of taken the opposite approach to the Peter Morgan approach, really. But with this novel, I've completely Peter yeah. Morganized it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's going to be huge, and you'll be writing Netflix series now. Because <laughs> Peter did it very well with Nick Frost, Nixon, and and, and the Queen. Uh, so no, I haven't watched, but I, I have been a bit of the Queen's Gambit, which I haven't finished yet. I must say, which says probably enough about it for me. I don't know how you you you've been feeling about not being in the cinema, Jonathan, and watching things at home. It's been a strange experience for me. I have to say. I'm finding it very unrewarding and untactile in a way like that like I was talking about the disappearing into that world I find it much harder to do at home well I'm, I'm afraid to say I've been a bit of a home cinema watcher for the last four or five years really ever since we bought a projector and and started you know watching things at home in sort of cinema style uh, conditions I, I think it was it kind of kicked in when I went to some multiplex or other and suddenly realized that the screen I was I just paid 15 pounds to watch a film on was smaller than the one I'd got at home and thought okay there's something something wrong here so I I'd pretty much got out of the cinema going habit before lockdown started but you know having been forced to give it up in the last few months I really can't wait to get back into a cinema now actually i would really like to see a film just a film with an audience again really yeah it's the it's the audience that uh, i'm missing either with the size the screen maybe it, I, or maybe it's the content i don't know uh, what it is I, the, these people in my living room i, I don't want them <laughs> in there anymore i want them to go <laughs> please i want to go into there into there well do you watch i mean, I mean that's the queen and the king's gambit Duke, the, the, the queen's gambit and uh, and the crown but do you watch telly a bit what have i seen on tv this this year i think the thing that bowled me over like a lot of people was uh, I May Destroy You, the Michaela yeah. Cole uh, series. I don't think I've seen anything else that's 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 matched up with that, really. It, would, it was extraordinary, and it was, it was so nice to see a piece of TV that wasn't a, a genre piece and wasn't a cop show and wasn't a doctor show and, and those those kind of things. Plus, you know, it mixed humour and, and seriousness in a way which I love, but which is not done that often. On uh, on British TV, I guess these days because people get a bit nervous when things can't be pigeonholed and compartmentalised and so on. I thought it was it was so much its own thing, and uh, I really liked that about it. What's the first film you ever saw? Do you remember? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Fantasia. I mean, we're good, we're talking ancient history now because I'm I'm 59, so we're, so it's more than half a century ago that I would have done these, and and there are films which blur into each other, film going experiences which blur into each other. But I have a vivid memory of seeing Fantasia during half term as one afternoon, being absolutely terrified by it, as most kids were by those early Disney cartoons. I think uh, the sort of the darkness and the weirdness of it. I mean, it's like a kind of trip that film when you when you see it now. Absolutely, but it uh, it may have been Thunderbirds. I'll go the the Thunderbirds film because I also have a strong memory of of going to see that and again being very scared by it. <laughs> scared by the scared by the puppet versions of Cliff Richards and the Shadows. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really they're quite good as well. They get the dance just right, don't they? <laughs> yeah, so that's so where, where would they have been those cinemas? Thunderbirds on Go was definitely in the centre of Birmingham, probably the Odeon New Street. Fantasia was at a very big cinema, very big grand kind of art deco cinema, which was only a few miles from our house in the suburbs, but became a bingo hall very, very shortly after that and is a, is a gym now, I think. Yes, that seems to be the, 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 the path. I, yeah. where I, where I, my first film with my parent was definitely Snow White at the Hendon, uh, what's it called, the classic. And that, that was a bingo hall and now is a gym as well. So there's obviously a, mm. there's obviously a progression from, from Disney <laughs> to, to, to there. Disney to bingo to gym. To so working yeah. out. <laughs> well, <laughs> is there a film that changed your life that you remember watching and went, ah, that's me now. Well, I, I'm sorry to come back to Billy Wilder, but it has to be The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, I think, which um, having been reviled by critics and ignored by audiences in 1970 on its release, started to crop up on British TV in the mid-70s. I must have been 14 or 15 when I when I first saw it because uh, I was a Sherlock Holmes fan. I'd never heard of Billy Wilder and uh, I just loved it. I thought it was so elegant and so witty and so sad. You know, and this music, this achingly melancholy music that underpinned everything and which, of course, had inspired him to make the film in the first place because the whole film was kicked off by Miklos Roche's uh, violin concerto. That immediately made me want to see every film that Billy Wilder had made. So it started, it started that obsession. And it also 
made me think subconsciously, I want to write something like that myself, you know, and that sadness and humour are not incompatible and, in fact, are kind of natural bedfellows. Yeah. So it had a very profound effect. Yeah, it did, didn't it? I, I'm, I'm slightly surprised by that. Not, not, not because, you, you, you know, where we are now in particular, it makes complete sense. But I, I would have thought I would have had you down for watching a, a Roma film and falling in love with French women and, and, and wine and going off and, you know, and, and, and studying French and all of that sort of thing. I thought I would have had you down for one of those. Not really. I mean, uh, you know, we, we did have back in the 70s on BBC Two and so on, we had great seasons of Truffaut and Roma and... Uh, Bunuel and stuff like this. Uh, the first French film that I fell in love with, which would have been at the end of the seventies, was Les Parapluies de Cherbourg, because mm. I've I've always liked uh, Michel Legrand's music, and again the the color palette of that film, the audacity of having the whole thing sung, and uh, yeah, this 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 terrible wistfulness and sense of lost opportunity and love that didn't work out and so on really really struck a chord with me in the in the late 70s it was on at my school film society um which up to that point had been run by the boys at my uh at my all boys school in birmingham and we had a very strict rule which was that the the film had to have a nude scene in it so uh because this was the only chance we got really to <laughs> <Yes>. see uh, for this kind of uh, titillation, so you know, we the music lovers was on constant rotation, and uh, well, it would, you could always rely on the French. For uh, that. Don't look, don't look now, of course, which it, it would, which is an absolute masterpiece and one of my three or four favourite films. But we we only got it for the for the, for the sex scene between Tom Sutherland and, and Julie Christie, and then everybody was very very. Uh, a, a new schoolmaster came along and he took over the film society. One of the first films he booked was Les Parapluies de Cherbourg, and everyone was nudging each other and saying, "Oh, it's a French film, you know." It's going to be Catherine Deneuve, there's going to be going to be lots of nudity and so on. And they were absolutely outraged that they had to sit through this 90 minutes of, uh, of singing and uh, and French melancholy. And I absolutely adored it. I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. So Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it's not, even, ca- it's not even camp. It's not even like in the camp musical. It's not even the, the Demoiselle de Rochefort, which has got that kind of, you know, jazz hands element to it. Which I yeah, love, I, love, I, love. I love that as well, though. I mean, that's, that's a really uh, life-affirming film. Actually, maybe I should write a novel about Jacques Demy because he is the second half of his career was pretty uh, went pretty much off the rails, really. There's the Hollywood bit where he went off and and and, and worked there, but then then the, Agnes Varda's sort of beaten you to it by making sort of films about him. Well, that's true. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and she's yes, quite good. She's, you know, don't take her on, Jonathan. Yeah, that's that's a good point, actually. Yeah, <laughs> choose your competition carefully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, she's only small, or was only small, uh, but mighty. I have to say, <laughs> is there is there a film that you you said you 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 fell in love with the French film? Is there a film you fell in love to, a romantic Jonathan Coe? Yeah, I, I suppose actually the first film my uh, my wife and I went and saw together. Uh, it was in 1987. It was at the uh, Curzon Cinema on the King's Road. And it was Bill Forsyth's adaptation of Housekeeping, the Marilyn Robinson novel. And I love, I love Bill Forsyth. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's an absolute tragedy that he hasn't made a film in 20, 21 years, however long it is now. Because I think that run he had in the 1980s with uh, Gregory's Girl, Local Hero, Comfort and Troy uh, was just magnificent. Beautiful. And then, uh, you know, Housekeeping is a much more... Uh, much more serious, much more disturbing film in some ways. And I think a lot of people were very baffled by it, as, as I quite was at the time. I mean, maybe it has a romantic glow around it in my memory because it was the first film we saw on our date. Uh, but also it's, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful film. And if you're going to go on a first date and see a film, it might as well be a kind of near masterpiece. That gets the relationship off to a good start, I think. Yeah, then you come out all uh, all, all aglow, and it, well, it obviously yeah, worked. Exactly. It obviously, it yeah, obviously it, worked. It obviously <laughs> And uh, and <laughs> and we thank Will Forsyth for that one. Do you know what? I have not seen Housekeeping. Uh, I've seen the other three that you mentioned there, and that 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 trilogy, and the trilogy he did before those as well, but not Housekeeping for some reason. Yeah, so I must must go and. Oh, you should you should definitely see it. It's it's much easier to see now. I mean it. it it was one of those films that disappeared into a, some kind of rights limbo uh, for a couple of decades, I think. Uh, and I was asked to program a, a little film festival down in uh, Bridport in Dorset about 10 years ago and asked if I could screen it and we, if we could invite him down for a Q&A, which, which we did. Uh, to my amazement, he came because I'd heard he was very reclusive and so on, but he was so pleased that someone 
wanted to show this film that he he came down like a shot and uh, and I think the organizer told me it was the only print in the UK at the time and you couldn't get it on DVD or anything but uh, I think there's a Criterion or someone Blu-ray now and it's it's really worth seeing he says it's his best film well, I'm sure he was delighted to come down to town to, to to talk about it as well. There, there, there's something marvelous about uh, you know that filmmaking of another era. Uh, we we tend to think films is, uh, is evergreen in some way, but they do date and they do. And I think that's exactly the the what we get from the the wistfulness behind uh, Mr. Wilder and me, which I think is 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 a wonderful read uh, and a wonderful watch at the same time. Uh, and Jonathan, it's been a real pleasure catching up with you. Really nice to, to see you. And yes, see thank you, so Jason. Well. It's been uh, really nice talking to you. And uh, I'm glad you liked the book and I'm glad it made you watch Fedora. Yeah. Basically, you wouldn't have watched it otherwise, would you? I don't think so. No, I really, I really don't <laughs> think so. So any other, if you want to do one around housekeeping that's going to force me to do next, then, then you can do it. I would quite happily just write books about, you know, flawed, flawed films by great forgotten film directors from now on so uh, yeah I think there's a rich vein in there so don't take on (laughs) Matthew Sweet or someone told me I should do Carry On Columbus next but that's that's a step too far that's a step too far he would wouldn't he <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Columbus would be amazing because that, uh, that's a hit, that's that's for him to do. I don't know what you know. That he's the perfect writer <laughs> for that. You know, there's a great joke that he tells about that. I think uh, it's about the sharks when they when they, when there's the pirates jump off the ship and there there's one joke in Carry On Columbus and I think and they and I think it's Julian Clary and the sharks come and the, and the the woman sort of says, "Oh, will they eat me old?" And she he says, "Madam, I believe they spit that bit out." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You see, <laughs> so there you go. The, the... Okay. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll have another think about that. Oh, yes, bear, bear okay. that one in mind. I'll go and do the Woody Allen ones as well if, if we're allowed. Okay. I can't do that anymore. I don't want those anymore. Uh, lovely to see you. Thanks very much for joining me, John. Thanks, Jason. And Jonathan Coe's Mr. Wilder and Me is out now, published by Penguin. And for any film fan or book fan, it is the perfect Christmas present. And so many great recommendations in that interview, even if it's just basically watch all the Billy Wilder films, which are must-sees and would be a perfect sort of programme of things to watch this Christmas. What a treat, just like the book itself. Talking of classics... We watched a cracking little film noir called This Gun for Hire from 1942, starring Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd, the first time those two were paired together. It's remastered by Eureka Video, and it's on Blu-ray, and it's a hard diamond of the genre, adapted from a Graham Greene original novel set in London, uh, and turned into a real L.A. thriller. I didn't know Veronica Lake, I must say, other than from Sullivan's Travels by Preston Sturgis, and in L.A. Confidential, uh, Kim Bassinger's character is playing a prostitute that's a Veronica Lake lookalike, complete with the uh, signature peekaboo platinum hairdo. But Veronica Lake's amazing in this gun for hire. She's a tiny thing. Secretly an FBI agent and a cop's mole. Uh, she's also a nightclub singer and she does a couple of songs in this while doing magic tricks. That's her nightclub act. Uh, the second of which numbers sees her with a fishing rod like a bondage whip and in these knee, well, thigh length leather patent wading fishing boots that are just like you know the most severe bondage gear I mean how they got away with it I don't know because she sings great now you see it now you don't because hocus pocus slow and behold you get blinded by that moon of bright gold above that She's very self-possessed as a femme fatale in this, finding her way through a ridiculous to describe plot of crippled industrialists and government agents and ruthless killers and vain men. The film is just perfect at balancing all of the elements, thoroughly enjoyable, comic at times even, uh, and even though like noirs should do, it takes a bleak view of human nature, it, it works. Lad's killer Raven has this distinctive broken wrist that's on all the wanted posters so half of America is looking for this guy with this kind of jutting out wrist and I loved watching Veronica Lake Uh, she's got these darting eyes a sharp little nose and this insouciant confidence in her own ability to survive and get through things even with a gun pointing at her back 
My next guest is known as a screen hard man. He's Craig Fairbrass, who starred in Prime Suspect, Cliffhanger and EastEnders before more recently being used in British gangster movies like The Rise of the Foot Soldier. However, new film Muscle finds him flexing his acting talents anew, playing a bodybuilding instructor who spots a weakling in Cavan Clerkin's moping call centre salesman, and he takes him under his bulging wing to make a man out of him. What's the matter with you? No one's done a pull down like that since the 90s. I'm sorry, no one showed me how to work it. What's your game? I said I'm sorry, I didn't know. I ain't seen you live before, have I? Just John. Well, welcome. Sorry. Hi, I'm Simon. So what's the goal then? Much. I really just want to get fit. Fit? You want to get big and you want to get strong. And the way you're pulling that weight about, you'll end up a cripple. But don't worry, because I can prevent that from happening. What, are you expensive? Oh, please, the money should not be important. Look, I'm standing here now, and I'm looking at you, and I can see major potential. You just need a little bit of guidance, that's all. I caught up with Craig Fairbrass and Cavan at the Biffer Awards last year, just as muscle was making itself known. And over a few drinks, we had a good laugh. And I promised Craig that it was time for a proper interview with him about his acting, now that he was starring in a film that's got real depth and threat and complexity. So it was fantastic to meet up with him. And I began by asking Craig Fairbrass about the man he plays in muscle, Terry. Yeah, Terry is a very, um, very deep, complex strange individual ex-military obviously sexually very mixed up but he's a very conniving clever man very overpowering domineering which i sort of gravitated towards that because when i when i read it i found him so exciting and so different and had so many little nuances there that i thought you know if i'm lucky enough to play this part i really think i could nail it yeah i really think i could do it because i mean obviously you've done overpowering and sort of you know strong on screen before but it must have been yeah. the flaws in this guy the complexities that really uh, appeal because you can get those in those are those are not yeah. what we're used to seeing yeah it, it, well basically what drew me towards was the weaknesses you know the achilles heel the insecurities the, the, because really deep down he's a big insecure fellow who just roams gyms looking for his next victim yeah and that is when I read, you know, there's a, quite a few scenes that actually never made the film. But it was just exciting to play because it was different for me to do, you know, to show weakness, to, to show vulnerability, but in a strange way. There's something very compelling about how uh, Cavan's character is attracted to him. You know, we see him yeah. to start with. He's a salesman. He's preying on vulnerable people as well. And he gets preyed on so easily himself. He falls for his own tricks in a way. He does. He really does. Yeah, it's exactly that. You're the first person to, to, to actually pick that up. But Kevin, what an actor. I mean, you know, you're only as good as the man you're opposite. And he is a phenomenal actor. I mean, the guy won Best Actor at the Talent Film Festival. It's just a joy to go and work with. When you're working with someone who's that good, you know, it obviously rubbed off on me. I think so, because we, we were both very happy with the scenes. It seems to me that it's, it's about masculinity i felt that was the real the real message of this one how to man up there's a bit where you give yeah. him give him some steroids or some drugs this yeah. is man juice you say yeah and that's yeah. really i thought God, we could all do with a bit of man juice i mean like <laughs> me personally i don't know you, about you've it. got you've got enough man juice craig frankly <laughs> they were all the little intricacies of the film about how we wanted to make it real and some of those scenes are just just magical i, I, I look at it back i'm so proud of the film um, yeah, I can see very, that. I'm, I'm really happy. Very rarely, I'm proud of anything I've done as an actor. <laughs> it's a little gem, that movie. Because, I mean, some of the other films that you have done, let's say that the gangster films you've done, no, no, but, you know, the kind of big ones that you've done that are, I suppose, like the foot soldier ones, you know, the ones yeah. that, that, that they they are about masculinity as well. You know, that's yeah. why those films do sort of work. They might be on the surface a bit yeah. sort of like wallop, but they are about being a man in a man's world and holding your own in some way. There yeah. is a, there is a machismo and that's yeah, muscle yeah, just kind of muscles down on that one, doesn't it really? Yeah, it does. Is, is, it, is it like that, that world? Is it Has it been like that for you, the world? You know what I mean? Finding your way in it? Yeah, I mean, growing up where I grew up, very much so. Yeah, 1,000% from a kid, you know, going to football with my mates and joining the gym. I worked on the door when I was younger. Mm. You know, it was all of those things of, you know, as I say, the areas. I remember I was a late developer and all of a sudden, you know, I got a little bit bullied when I was a kid. Right. And then one morning I woke up, I was six foot three and my dad said, right, get down the gym now, thicken yourself up. And it gave me confidence. Yeah. Definitely gave me confidence. All of those situations, all of those 
you know experiences you have as a younger man you you take them forward as a as a as a, as a man and you use those i've used those situations and experiences of um, in my acting and not many uh, people have to be honest craig that's why i quite like watching you uh i'm not saying that i don't like watching eddie redmayne and Benedict yeah, yeah. Cumberbatch and you know acting is about pretending and all of this but yeah, of sometimes course. I do feel that we've lost the art of, of having actors who've lived a bit and have actually got mm. a bit of experience that they're bringing to it and have a bit of life yeah. yeah I just think I've always as an actor tried to make things as real and, and as authentic as I possibly can just to make it believable because I think if you watch something and you believe it and you're drawn in because I watch actors all the time and I'm like my god he's good um, because I believe it it's as mm. simple as that who are the actors that you that you look at and you say well they're they're good I like what they're doing i love matthew mcconaughey i really like him as an actor i like mads mickelson mm. really Great like choice him. really like him um they can do funny they can do threatening yeah, they can do but it's the intensity on screen they've got that that watchability what was the first film you ever saw craig fairbrass Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston stuck in my mind as a kid. I remember the poster. Just the magic of that movie. Oh, the ending of that movie. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, blimey. Best end. I think it's the best ending ever, maybe. Yeah. No, and yeah. I, don't, I don't like to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it because, you know, I'm still waiting for my kids to see that and kind of go, oh, yeah. see what they've done. But it's a classic. And then growing up, um, and then watching more sort of heavy duty movies. I sort of fell in love with the Lee Marvins and the Kirk Douglases. I remember watching Point Blank for the first time oh. ever. The films as a younger man that made me want to be an actor, watching those type of actors, you know, Lee Marvin, John Wayne, Kirk Douglas, Bronson, because they were they were men. Yes. They, they, well, Lee Marvin you know, had lived a life as well, you know, life. before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Point Blank is fantastic. Yeah. He just keeps walking through that movie. <laughs> Great choice. Yeah, great film. Yeah. What are you watching at the moment? Have you seen anything good lately? Box sets are dipping and out. I'm very fussy with him. I like the foreign stuff. Oh. I just finished about a month ago that Fowder. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. Do you know what? Uh, people come, they recommended me yeah, this one. It's, really it's been a while since people's recommended it. And everyone, I, I, do you know what? I must yeah. get back to that because people keep yeah. saying how good it is. Good people say that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's excellent. You know, before that, the this Black is an Israeli Mossad spy yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, seriously well done i mean it's it's and it's so watchable it's gripping i watched dark waters recently i don't know if you've seen that the mark ruffalo film oh yes i have seen that yeah, yeah a good yeah. A, a very yeah. sort of yeah. low boy yeah. simmer of a film do you know what i mean good. and the and before that i watched the king and it sort of made me feel that every now and again they do make a good film because there's so much shit on you know <laughs> yes. you know like we all know it takes us half out to pick something this is it. Amazon. you have that trouble as well good i'm glad that we all do <laughs> But it's just hard to find quality quality films. But the the King, is that the Timothy Chalamet one? Where he's the, yeah, the, have the you seen it? Yes, the Shakespearean one. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. A lot of you know, great cinematography yeah. on that is fantastic, I yeah. think. Yeah, unbelievable. He's a he's a good, interesting director. That, uh, is it Justin Kirk that did Isn't that? It, yeah. It Mark, uh, yeah. Yeah. Who, who did The King? Am is I, it Mark Shod? C-H-O-D? Am I getting that wrong? Yeah, yeah he did Animal. Animal Kingdom. Oh yeah, so, Michaud, David Michaud, that's the one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Animal Kingdom's terrific film as well. Yeah, you know? I mean, some of those Australian actors, that like Ben Mendelsohn, he's got. Uh, I love him. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's got that intensity. Yeah. Oh, like. before I watched the the Outsider, what was on? That was pretty good. Did you see the series with him? No. Is he, yeah, no has he got a series? You should check that out. Yeah, the Outsider. Really, really good. Good, interesting, uh, interesting shout as well. Yeah, those inter those those day Australian directors, Michaud and Justin Kurtzall, yeah. they do those. And Animal House, the TV series. Series, the American adaption. I mean, it's not as good as a film, but very watchable. Very powerful. Because you yeah. run out, don't you? They end, yeah. and you go, what? What's next? And you're bereft of these things. And yeah. you to, do you watch things with, uh, as a family? How old are your kids? Did you say now? Oh, my kids are thirty-two and thirty. Oh, so, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's like, I mean, but they're round all the time. You've got the big screen and it's nice to sit down as a family. I mean, we, we all grew up watching movies. My youngest son, Luke, produced two films that we did, um, London Heist and Breakdown. Right. So he's in the game now, is he? He's not. He's now in, he's, he's, he's verged into another business now, um, outside of film. And it's just, it's too hard, the film going. Yeah, he was like, I've got to get out of this. It is, a, you know, it's a big stress yeah. producing a movie, getting it, especially if your dad's in it. And, and for me... As a producer on those films, mm. you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're doing a scene where you've got to get emotionally charged and you're looking at your watch at the left eye because you've got to be out of a location in 20 minutes. It, 
it's it's not something I would want to do again. No, and you don't want that as an actor to rushing it through because we've got no. times going and you've got no, to get exactly. this one right. You know, you need yeah. the, you need to, to summon it up. But it, it, yeah. it sort of fascinates me that you know that you have to spend so long trying to pick a movie. You know, what I mean that you want to watch with your wife and things like that. Are there ones yeah. that you compromise on? I don't know what she likes. I mean, she's obviously used to you right now and the sort of movies that you're going to be doing and, and liking. Are there ones that you kind of go, all right, well, you, we'll watch that because you want to watch that. And no, it's only what I want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm joking. I mean, she, her taste is very, we've got very similar taste. You, you know, there's certain films, I was just about to switch off the other night and The Godfather's back on. I must have seen it a hundred mm-hmm. times. But you, it's, them, it's them quality movies that you dip into and you go, I've got, I've got to watch it through. Yeah, I know once it started, Goodfellas for me, is it, 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 you know, because yeah. it's always on. Sometimes you're yeah. flicking it. Wherever I join it, if it's at the beginning or halfway through, I've got to watch yeah. it to the end. You, know, you have to. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in America, I mean, that's three hours, but I mean, my favourite film of all time. But... Is that your favourite? So if um, there was a classic yeah. film that you can go back in time, it would take you back to 1920 or something and, and say, right, you're starting your career now. Is there a classic film that you wish you could have been in or that? that I could have done that I would have been great in that there was always a role I mean growing up for the last 10 years I would love to have played Bill Sykes in a really heavy duty version of Oliver that type of stuff mm. I would love to have done a but yeah I mean duty, a non-musical version of Oliver yeah you know, but yeah. like a really dark version yeah. I would love to have done that because it's such a great role yeah um, but I was lucky enough to meet James Kahn a few years back I did a little film with him in Louisiana and I couldn't wait to meet him Purely just to talk about the Godfather and John Wayne. And was he all right about that? He's not like oh no. Oh God, you put him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was lovely. But it was just so weird to sit there. You know, this this is the man who's looked into the eyes of Marlon Brando and John Wayne. Uh, it's just you know. But you going back to those films, yeah. To be in one of them movies, to be in one of them big magical films that no one really knew at the time what they would become. You know, these iconic films. Mm. Like a seven, like a seventies one, like you mentioned, like the what were the sixties point blank ones, or the Kurt, or you see yeah. yourself in a biblical epic sort of, you know, gravied up no, fighting I Kirk don't. Douglas. In the- <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Funny enough, but I do, I do like the really good. Someone just sent me a really good script to sort of another sort of take on Get Carter. Really good. But you, you're now. I'm always looking for that emotional. I'm always looking for the side of the, the vulnerability, mm. the weakness, the, something that makes the character interesting, not just this guy who can just beat everyone up. Mm. You know, there's got to be something in there that separates that. Well, I think you've earned it now. I think the last, the last, the last couple, and certainly with muscle, there's definitely you, you, you right. have a right, you have a right to seek out. Well, get me an agent, things. can you? I'd love to. You know what? I'd love to be an. I think I'd probably be quite a good agent. I, I, could, I couldn't do it for myself, but I think I probably could do it quite well. Exactly. You, but it's about you reading the script and sort of seeing it. Go well. Where do I come in here? You know, what's it for me? And get working with interesting directors as well, because they'll they'll find something yeah. in it for you. As well, it might not but be there lacked, on the page. It, yeah, but it's finding the quality material. Is it, is mean, it difficult out it's, there? It, it's 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 not easy. Until you get sent stuff and you look at it and you go, I've, I've read this a thousand times. But if you every now and again you do get something that comes through and it is quality, you can tell straight away when you start reading it. What about a nice big telly season, the series that takes you know eight seasons and you'll be in there? Well, no. Like... Funny enough, you're saying that we're just about to go forward with it now. We've had a little bite. This is something that I developed when in lockdown. I right, I was in a play last year. I got nominated for an Olivier about PTSD and a writer came and see me in the play and he said Craig listen I'm a, I'm a fan of what you do I'd love to you know write something for you he said what's your favourite TV series what do you like if you could do it I said well I was obsessed with The Shield and I loved Braco and I love all those corrupt cop series yeah. you know the duty that type of stuff but the guy's good at heart you know the Ray Donovans the Tony Soprano if you can get that character with the backdrop of the police and doing something and we worked it all through all summer together because I've written a couple of scripts and it's it's ready and we're now pursuing to get the pilot made well like a, uh, Brit- a British one though it's a British yeah it's called Second Skin it's about um, it's a re- it, it's really good Oh, we haven't had a well, line of duty you mentioned is always, you know is always a good yeah. one. But you know, I I always think back to you know you, you, the Sweeney or something like that. You know those kind of yeah. tough cop movies yeah. that tough cop you know, yeah. series that we had. We don't seem to have quite those anymore. We don't, I'm afraid. And this is that touches on that. It's very sort of now. It's all about London. You know the diversity of London, the crime that's going on, and what we're having to deal with on a yeah. daily basis. Did you see the gang right. gangs of London? The the, the yeah, I didn't also. really take to it for me. It was a little bit too. Uh, I don't know. I just I, there was something in there that I didn't gravitate towards. You weren't in it. 
not so much that. Because I'm a massive, I love Joe Cole. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's actor. good, isn't he? Yeah, really good. Did you see that Thai boxing movie that he did? I did. The oh, prayer, yeah. prayer, prayer before dawn. Yeah, I loved it. it. Yeah, he was cr- yeah, tremendous he in that, was, wasn't he? Incredible. What an incredible and film. Yes. You know, yeah. Great, great actor. Well, look, Craig, it's been fantastic talking to you. And it, honestly, it was, it was a real joy watching Muscle. I, I was repelled. I was attracted. I was like, oh, my God. Halfway through, there's like a... Like a the, 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 oh, the orgy. The orgy. Let's call it the orgy. Yeah. This is the biggest sex yeah. scene I think I've seen on British TV ever. I mean, yeah, not I TV, know, British I, I, did a, I did the article last week in The Guardian. I said, well, it took me three days to get over. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, the tagline. Yeah. But uh, as Jared said, you know, it was weird going because they were shot over two days, two different parties. Shot, very over, shot over yeah. everything by the look of it from what I saw. <laughs> and he said he was like oh going in the next day it was all a bit sticky oh. there, was a, there was a strange smell in there that wasn't nice but it is um, it pulls no punches put it that way oh I tell you I was I was quite quite impressed with it, I have to say. it just, yeah, in the, the way that he's he's finished it with the edit as well I mean shooting it must yeah. be difficult but the edit making it look so throbbing and kind of difficult like yeah. a Gaspar Noé film you know it had that kind yeah. of you're, you know it could have been a sort of porn hub thing it could have looked awful but it didn't yeah but Jared is so stylish he's a genius I'm sorry the guy's a genius when he makes stuff because he's very fussy in what he does but when he and is so film literate um, it's incredible what was he talking to you just to some of the film references I don't know if you sat and watched films with him that that were all no but you know you know there was there was there was you know elements of the servant Mm. in this you know fight club that that you know the the dynamic between me and Kevin that that relationship yes of course, That's of course. I didn't think of that. Abs- absolutely, Ed Norton and, and Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. Which one's yeah. which? Who are you? <laughs> I'll have to be Brad. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's a very integral part of the film that because it, it, it the way Terry literally takes over Simon's life to the point of destroys him basically, as, as the tagline says, "Build him up, tear him apart." Mm. It really is a. It's a dark, beautiful piece. About, and it's about testament to both of the performances because you're like, well, don't do that. I'm saying to them, <laughs> saying to Cameron, don't, don't let him in your house. Don't, don't let him bring <laughs> these girls in. You know that's. But he's, there's something in him. Like, well, I do. He preyed on those weaknesses, and he, you could see why yeah. he did it each time. I'm telling him, don't yeah. do it. But you know, each time yeah. you're thinking, oh, he's going to be all right. Yeah. You know, it's gonna... so funny because when we opened up at the London Film Festival, we had, we had a full house, and you could hear, you could hear that, you could hear that. No. Under the breath, you know, people literally. It was brilliant, you know, watching it with an audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we're missing at the moment. We might be able to get yeah. back to that. Uh, you, you, you have the opening on. Well, tomorrow the cinemas are opening and your film comes yeah. out. So hopefully, some socially distanced uh, yeah. uh, cinemas can watch it. Don't, well, no one's going to get too close to anyone after watching your film. I think they'll, they'll need yeah. to <laughs> maintain a little bit of a distance on it. Uh, yeah. There's a, one thing I did. I didn't realise. Is that the score, which I think was brilliant, kept throbbing all the, the way. Through. I did notice by the, well, I knew at the end. Yeah. I was by the the. Yeah, and, Gerard's and brother. Is Gerard's brother is Matt Johnson yeah. from the the, yeah. and he yeah. got and this is his first film score. I think. And the music, I for, for me, well, I remember going to an early. We was looking at some bits and pieces, and I was like, the music just blew me away because it's so atmospheric, it's so moving, it just it's the cream on the cake for that film. Mm. I mean, any other score would have been. There's something very haunting about it. It's just. It, it's just such a beautiful partnership. Yeah, no, it is. And it, it really works. It pushes it Ow. forward. It's very powerful. And the use of the yeah. songs is good. There's Manfred Mann yeah. in there. And it was like, yeah. what? Sounded, sounds fresh. You know, you hadn't heard it before. Yeah. It worked really, really well. So, I'm so glad you liked it, though, because yeah. I know you're very fussy. I am a bit fussy, actually, as well. And I, there were bits when I, uh, there was moments where I thought, well, what is it? And yeah. as soon as it started, I was like, oh, this is, this isn't, not, I'm, I'm not really know what to expect here. Right, it's and, good. And it was, yeah, yeah, for a British film and that low budget, it's, it's very unusual. And I haven't seen one like it before. And as I say, very atmospheric and really well done, all of you. So lovely and lovely to, lovely to chat with you, Craig. Really nice to, to do you, this Jason. properly, uh, not, yeah. not, not round a bar. But do you know what? I do wish yeah. we could get into a bar and do it again pretty soon. We will. All right, then. We will. You're on. Have a lovely Christmas. Take care yeah, yourself. Yeah, you too, mate. Nice to speak to Cheers, you. Mate. And Muscle, starring Craig Fairbrass, directed by Gerard Johnson and with Kevin Clerkin in it as well, who's excellent. Uh, it's out in cinemas now and on streaming platforms from December the 4th. All of which brings us closer to the end of this edition of Seen Anything Good Lately. Just 
time to tell you about Maradona, of course, Diego, who's just died. Of course, uh, I had to watch uh, Asif Kapadia's documentary Maradona all over again. I think it's the third or fourth time I've seen it. Um, and it just, in the shadow of Maradona's death, because of course, when I spoke to Asif about it originally, uh, Amy and Senna, he'd, he'd done before, they were about dead people. Uh, and he said the difference was that Maradona was still alive and he could interview him, which he did in Dubai. And he had him his voiceover through of that interview was was sort of sewn throughout the film uh, but it was different because Maradona was alive well Asif you've done it again you've <laughs> killed off another one and you know having seeing it now as Maradona it was amazing anyway that Maradona was alive you see that movie anyway the amount of cocaine he took and then played football just that lifestyle so having him as a ghostly presence I think adds another layer of complexity to Maradona and everyone sort of said oh it's not as good as Senna it's not as good as Amy my belief because I love football is that it's better than both of those films I think Maradona is the masterwork and that's the one that should be winning awards and Oscars it's the one that's certainly most popular and the one that seems to have nailed a certain flaw of human frailty in our icon and in our heroes I love Maradona definitely worth watching again che mi sono andato da Barcellona senza vincere niente praticamente perché abbiamo vinto una Copa, una Copa del Re. Sì. Però sì, avevo... avevo... Guarda, mi hanno frascicato. No! And I very much enjoyed the Jazz 625 special on the British Jazz Explosion that was on BBC4 and is now playing on the BBC iPlayer. And it charts the current rise in jazz artists coming out of London and the UK, taking over the world with their beats. It was just really neatly put together, very professionally presented by Moses Boyd. And it reminded me of going out, going to gigs, listening to these guys, which I've been doing, listening and dancing and singing along. And I'm really missing that at the moment, aren't we all? So it was really good to see people like Courtney Pine talking about the uh, the explosion that he uh, spearheaded back in the 80s and now it's coming again. Uh, and then there's these guys like Moses Boyd and Nubia Garcia and Shabaka Hutchings, the Ezra Collective and Coco Rocco, who are one of my favourites. And, you know, things are really happening here on that jazz scene and they're going to be noted forever. So it was good to see an episode of this classic BBC jazz programme, Jazz 625, dedicated to them and their music. It's really good. An hour and a half of great uh, introduction to what's going on on that British jazz scene. Find it on iPlayer. And why don't we go out with uh, Kokoroko and the appropriately named Carry Me Home. See you next time. (laughs) 